0: This is Changeling the Podcast.
1: Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is our other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka.
0: Hello. Or, you know, hi. Whichever.
1: Yes. So today we have a extra special episode. Well, not extra special.
0: They're all extra special.
1: Yes. We have a regularly special. Actually, it's quite typical. I don't know.
0: Almost too typical.
1: Yeah. Like, it's... Kind of dragging on a bit. Almost
0: oppressively typical. Yes. We're talking about the autumn people. Dun, dun, dun. So, Puka, who are the autumn people? Well, the autumn people... There's a lot of different kinds of autumn people, and we have this book here to tell us all about them. I guess I I would just actually like to start talking about this book, like, physically, the actual impressions of having the book in my hands, because I have to give the credit where credit's due. It's really engaging in terms of the cover and the art and everything. The art is beautiful on the front cover and they've done this sort of rusty red or maybe blood red filter. I suppose you'd call it over the usual Network border and the title and everything. Yeah. And it just casts this very ominous glow over because at this point from Changeling, you come to expect like the whole rainbow of colors kind of coming at your face. And in this instance, it's just a lot more um, threatening looking.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's it's like in terms of the general look, not talking about maybe specific issues on pages or whatnot. It's probably my favorite looking changeling book. Just like at looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. I am trying to figure out with the knot border inside what they were going for
0: exactly with the like black line things. Is that supposed to be like cracks or I think so, yeah. Cause it's I mean there's that sort of stained glass motif they go with. And if um if you look on the back cover, you have the Faye icon kind of read it out, and then cracks through that as well. Okay. So this is also a tie-in for Year of the Hunter, which for anyone who was not familiar with the Years of the from back in the day, uh, White Wolf used to do these year-long event things where they would do a bunch of tie-in books around a central theme with one book for each line. And so 1995 was Year of the Hunter, so different antagonist books were released for each line, and The Autumn People was the one for Changeling. I believe it also came out right at the tail end of 1995, so they just snuck it in under the wire.
1: Yeah, so should we dive into the book itself? I'm ready. Okay, so chapter one is titled Butterfly, which uh, it's it's a sort of multiple, like two stories interwoven. Two different perspectives. Yeah, I was a little bit confused at first as to what was, I thought it was the same person for a while. and That got me a little bit confused, but otherwise... I liked it. I thought it would get a nice description of the
0: mists. Yeah, what was the story about? Well, you have these sort of two characters who one is clearly a fae of some kind, and one is an autumn person of some kind, kind of meeting each other. I don't know if falling in love is the right description. They they just sort of take up with each other, and Mm -hmm. she gets sucked into banality as a result.
1: Though he doesn't seem happy and not just because she's not happy too it's a bit yeah he he doesn't really come across as like a terrible person or anything like I like that they're not just banality evil
0: kind of thing it's yeah yeah, he's just blah mm-hmm. he's just the blah boyfriend, yeah dependable methodical yep it really um I remember reading this the first time and just thinking it was heartbreaking because spoiler alert she falls into banality and has this brief reminder of her true nature when one of her old motley essentially comes back and visits her and the the final scene is she's crying over the last two scraps of her fey wings that have fallen apart and dissipated, and just you know thinking that that was really you know a really dismal fate for a changeling, but at the same time it really drives home the point that banality isn't necessarily this directly threatening force that can easily be discerned and fought against. And sometimes it just kind of creeps up on you. And some Autumn yeah. people might even be kind people or, you know, trying to be understanding people and just not realizing the oppressiveness that they embody. Yeah. He, he's just
1: kind of a, he's almost like a bargain who doesn't get people that well. Like,
0: Apologies to any boggins who aren't. No, who are but listening.
1: not, no. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> uh, but like any of the Fae, you could kind of do that. Yeah. Like slightly yeah, yeah. twist them into somebody banal, but not necessarily like terrible you know? Yeah. yeah. Or at least more terrible than they would be.
0: <laughs> right. Not every, not every source of banality is a Dante.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's very, I mean, all the chapters in this book are very short. Um, I think the mm-hmm. book clocks in at 96 pages total and we get this, I would even call the preface because then we have the introduction and then six chapters and then an appendix. So that's a lot of chapters for, you know, a comparatively short book.
1: And, and I found when, when reading it, it felt like a longer book, mm-hmm. not not necessarily in a bad way. Just it's like I'm looking at like, how is this not 200 pages? Like when I
0: yeah,
1: it felt like I read a 200 page book.
0: It's dense, I would say, mm-hmm.
1: but not like the font small, right?
0: Like, right. Lots of words. It's just yeah.
1: So what's the next chapter? Or first chapter? Negative one chapter?
0: Chapter zero. Yes. Yeah. So then we get the introduction, which I think. A lot of the book is told in an in-character voice. I think, you know, the first four or five chapters are all kind of in-character. And so we have this introduction that's more from the metagame perspective. I found it very wordy and maybe unnecessarily so. We get a lot of reiterations of the same description of what autumn people signify, what banality signifies. We get that just over and over and over. And I kind of wonder if that's the point, because, Mm -hmm. you know, beating mundanity into your head is sort of what banality is all about.
1: Yeah. Or it could be they didn't. They're trying to puff up the word count.
0: That too. Yeah.
1: And that's the vanilla answer.
0: <laughs> yeah. It works. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't mind it so much because I would rather have... I'm generally not a person who minds padded writing in role-playing books. I know that some folks prefer an economy of language, but hey, you know, the deeper the world building, the happier I am. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And I've, I've read things that are very compact in that will make me have to roll my glamour to keep them <laughs> past a yeah. certain point. Cause you're just like, I've only read five pages, but it's more than I can keep in my brain.
0: Small doses, small doses. Yeah.
1: There were some interesting little hints or like, like they're talking about like the mythic, they're trying to give like the timeline and like related to seasons. Mm-hmm. And so they have the mythic age as spring. And then like the Renaissance and enlightenment were summer which just felt weird to me
0: that the shattering would be like (laughs) mid-June. Sounds about right. That doesn't... Yeah. Yeah, they say the age of reason, but that could be a lot of different things, I suppose. I would sort of say from the Fae perspective, I would imagine the sundering would be summer. Mm. You know, that long period from the beginnings of humanity starting to settle themselves down into, you know, civilizations and questioning the world around them. And then the shattering when the fae were forced to take on human form that's really when autumn began. Okay,
1: that makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah. I don't know, I don't know that that's what they were going for here, but that's how I yeah. would think of it in my mind.
1: Yeah. There were another there's like some mage terminology like the fair folk walked among the trods between the Tellurian and Arcadia with impunity?
0: Yeah. Maybe um the mage writers got their got their fingers into this one. Yeah, although that
1: one also doesn't quite make sense from my understanding of mage cosmology but also another mage tie-in and a synonym for autumn people are hollow ones
0: yes we do also get two epigraphs from ts Eliot's the hollow men which i think fits mm-hmm. better with the autumn people than the hollow ones themselves yep we have some dr anton stark metaplot again so he's mm-hmm. probably i think he's turned up more in the books at this point than high king david has so makes you wonder there was some high king david in this book too yeah but this is really this is a stark book yeah feels weird to say that in the era of the marvel cinematic universe but yeah it was his cousin yeah
1: cut into psychology so next chapter chapter one that's actually chapter one watching the window and so so this story if there's a sort of running story about like a former motley or former oath circle or something
0: it's the motley referred to in the opening fiction as well. Mm -hmm. So we get in in in-character narration from other folks in that opening fiction. So this is Arthur Fishlips, the Slua, I believe he is. Yeah,
1: and like he's succumbing to banality. And that picture of him, I find, is very iconic changeling. Yeah. I don't know.
0: He just seems miserable. I feel like that. I
1: felt like that some days. I, I feel you there.
0: But there is, as a slight Easter egg, later on in the chapter, one of his friends, Runcible the Puka, pops up. And, um, he hides carrots around Arthur's apartment, so in that opening chapter art, you do see a carrot hidden in a wall fixture, which I appreciate little things, it's the little things, you know, oh, oh that demon thing's got in his mouth. that's glamour in a nutshell, I think, well, mm-hmm. not always, but sometimes hiding yep. those little those little bits of magic in difficult places, yep, anyway.
1: this also made me think about like growing up and like just how weird my high school was. Mm. Because I think of my high school is one of the lower banality institutional periods of my life.
0: You're very fortunate in that regard. (laughs)
1: Oh, middle school was brutal. And I had a lot of troubles in university too. But like high school was surprisingly not bad for me. So it's kind of...
0: I mean, I certainly, high school was, you know, apologies to everyone for kind of going down this memory lane, uh, but high school was just for me at least, finding the people who understood me and just latching onto them like a barnacle, you know, mm. because the alternative was too horrific to comprehend.
1: Yeah, my high school was actually, there's this theme going on where I've been like, I feel like I'm too much trying to gain ban- banality and glamour, even though I hadn't heard of it till partway near the end of high school. It's like I'm trying to gain banality and glamour in my life, and I'm like kind of excluding people I probably shouldn't have. And high school I was a bit more open on that. If that makes any sense. So it's not like, I assume if this person feels like me, they're safe. And if they don't, they're not safe. And I think I I, need, I needed to loosen up on that a bit. Still in my high school years, I didn't really open up. Most of my like closest connections were still out were people I didn't go to school with. So yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's one other thing in this chapter that sort of reminds me, especially reading this era of Changeling and maybe all the White Wolf books. You have to be really careful about reading specific lines too much like this chapter really goes on hard about how banal television is right yeah but there's earlier talking about the glamour of like getting up on sunday to watch the saturday to watch cartoons saturday morning
0: i mean i remember that fondly yes
1: but i'm just thinking it's more presented like in character and there's a point but there's nuance Mm -hmm. a lot of this book i think in general, and not just this book but i think it's just one little example where you're like, I don't think that's a contradiction. I don't think they don't know what television is, but too close a reading, the wrong kind of reading of the book can get you at least me hung up.
0: Yeah. It's also worth bearing in mind that, you know, all these sort of discussions, he's talking about these different life stages, and it reads very much like this book was written 25 years ago, and it, you can tell, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and there's it's, it's i think my my experience growing up was sort of similar to this but there are other aspects that just sound very dated to me there's like one point where he talks about in the university oh you have these mindless sorority girls going for their Mrs. degrees and it's like uh, that's yeah my, that's a my bit... school
1: i mean I'll, I'll, there this is also like my, my school didn't really have sororities or
0: Well, right. Yeah. Fraternities or anything. Yeah. But it's not to say that university can't still be banal for people or that there aren't still people who don't squeeze the life out of it to the best of their ability or anything like that. mm -hmm. But just the the valence of those processes has changed, I would say. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, and like, like, for example, I took a few engineering courses and I've known people with engineering degrees that are great and would not count as banal. Mm-hmm. But the people who take engineering courses because they want to make money because they think engineering is the only way to make money, sure, or their parents are just telling them to take engineering, that can have a bit more banality to it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, so we have this <laughs> this exegesis of the different stages of life from the perspective of slew on the verge of becoming undone. What mm-hmm. a fun read!
1: Yeah, I can't. T- I think I think him becoming undone makes him like less g- depressing, though. Probably.
0: Probably, but then he finds a carrot. Yep. So then we move on to chapter two with more in-character narrative from a different voice, from an Ishu who's a friend of the Slua and the Puka who pops in in the middle of chapter one. Mm -hmm. Lots of characters floating around the book. I don't know. What are your thoughts on source book writing in character? Where do you stand on that?
1: I think it's more difficult to pull off right. And I think this book has parts that do it well and parts that don't. So there's something actually coming up in a future chapter where I'm like, what? But I don't find it like throws me or anything. Yeah. Like as long as it's done properly.
0: What about you? I'm generally fine with it. I think it's I think it's better when it's all one or the other by by chapter if nothing else so like you know when it when it kind of moves back and forth without warning because there are there are books that do that where it's the opening sections are all in character and then suddenly it switches and you're out of character i find that can be a little bit jarring if it's not mm-hmm. indicated with italics or something i think it is kind of chapter by chapter in this um, yeah instance
1: and they have the introduction
0: yeah like sometimes it doesn't really even matter because you're getting information that's like an in-character figure writing a source book for an rpg so it's a blurry line Yeah, and especially when you're talking about
1: like the, the, a lot of this these chapters even if they wrote it in an omniscient third person narrator the narrator mm-hmm. still wouldn't be omniscient
0: <laughs> yeah if for no other reason than RPG writers don't tend to compare notes on everything. Mm -hmm.
1: Or remember notes of everything.
0: Even their own things. Regardless, in this instance, we get sort of a history of banality, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. I do like that they include the line, Science and technology did not themselves cause banality to rise which given the overall anti-technology, anti-science bent of the world of darkness that people often call out, you know, it's nice to see that kind of counterpoint because it drives home the fact that it's more about how people use those things and their attitudes towards them that have defined things like the sundering and the shattering and the approaching winter yeah. and banality. So it's very personalized. Yeah,
1: and it even like presents technology and science as being originally created by the Fae. Yeah which again could be yeah. i think a heavy dose of that uh, fallible narrator is important for that one but
0: absolutely and to your point about the engineering courses you know there are things that that signify glamour to some people and signify banality to others and a given person can have both things within them yeah you know but
1: at the same time like if you're in this course and experiencing this particular situation I think there's less disagreement over what that situation was, if that makes sense.
0: Sure. Yeah. We get some stuff about the Dauntane. A Dantane's capabilities are distinguished from her Kithane brethren by their ability to use banality for their own purposes, to draw strength and power from their connection to it. So that's something. Yeah. But they still have access to glamour, which I think people sometimes have this notion that the Dantane are not glamorous at all, but it's they have both to very mm-hmm. high levels.
1: Oh yeah, and the, this chapter also then gets into banal shimmer chimera. Yeah, and I don't think that also works. It's not like they're just made out of banal, especially the the anime chimera mm-hmm. sword. Eh, they are glamorous things infected with banality, and it's killing them. And they're doing things to try to stave it off. Yeah, th- that works for me.
0: They're like little black holes for glamour. Mm-hmm. Something else that this book really likes to do is categories. Mm -hmm. I think we get three or four different ways to kind of slice up the category of autumn being. Mm -hmm. We have like the innocence versus the cognoscenti, which is a really pretentious way to talk about people who know about banality Mm -hmm. and use it. For the chimera, we have the abandoned versus the malicious. So like the imaginary friends and toys that you gave up when you were from when you were a childling versus chimera that just arise from awful things. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure with the malicious chimera, it seems more on the side of like dark glamour to an extent. Yeah. Or like dark glamour enfolded with banality.
1: And and some of it's not even the description seemed like they could be um a glamorous image of the fear of banality.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, I'm still not a fan of the grey sword though.
0: The Grey Sword, I need to call attention to uh, what the Grey Sword actually does, which is that if it hits a kithane, it gives a permanent banality dot every time it hits. And it does fade at the rate of one point per day, but still, holy shit, a permanent dot of banality every time it hits a kithane is redonkulous. And I'm glad that this thing has not made an appearance since, or I can't recall it making another appearance.
1: Uh, it is in c20
0: yes it is but it's just like a quick reference right it's not like somebody using it yeah so
1: yeah and that one also when i said before about oh they're infected chimera infected with banality but no it doesn't fit with the sword yeah it's just like extra cold iron but chimerical
0: right which makes you think like can it be taken into the dreaming maybe in the same way that the chimera are anxieties about banality given life and form. The gray sword is anxiety about cold iron given chimerical life and form. Mm -hmm. A nervosa object, if you will. Yes. We get a number of ways that characters can be lost to banality, such as voluntary retreat for practical purposes. If your banality is higher than your glamour, then you might have temporary memory loss. If your banality is above your glamour and your willpower, you're in danger of completely forgetting yourself. And then if your banality hits 10, You might get permanently undone. But happily, we have a number of ways to counter all of these effects.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is stuff that does show up later in other books, like future editions.
0: I kind of like that. I do also like on the next page, page 35, we get this image of the owl puka becoming undone. And the way that that's depicted is like, you know, he kind of goes from happy looking to annoyed looking, and his brain is filled with math.
1: Yeah, that that th- that I was less of a fan of the the math causing <laughs> banality to a Although it's this it's geometry proofs using and percent, yeah, that kind of math maybe. I'm less <laughs> going. That's full of glamour.
0: It's not necessarily that the math caused it. Just that now that he's become more banal, that's all he can think about. Maybe yeah. Cosines, mm-hmm. percentages, dollars, dollars. I did like the little piece about the social aspect because, and I, I do think it's way too short, just the notion of how Kithane handle their fellows who have become undone or who are slipping away. And there's just kind of this passing reference to, you know, they ignore the lost one as if he had never existed. And I think there's so much more to unpack there. Mm-hmm. You know, there are references elsewhere about changelings who go out and try to rescue people from being undone. So to just kind of say, oh, yeah, they just kind of pretend it's not happening and maybe just cut ties with that person. I feel like it's a much too cut and dry way of dismissing that aspect.
1: But I could see also like you don't talk about them in polite company kind of thing
0: is maybe the still
1: though. Yeah, it's brutal. And yeah, like if they died, I don't think they'd act that way.
0: No, of course not. They'd have a wake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. When I've done it like in LARPs and things like that, what usually ends up happening is treating undoing like death Mm. like you would have a wake or something like that
0: but they're still there they're just you know
1: but are they is it them
0: well that's that's what i wish that they would go into more yes the different sort of philosophies that changelings themselves might have but anyway that's uh that's chapter two
1: so yes next we have chapter three gathering leaves and this is when things started getting really confusing for me
0: so, it is once again in character.
1: <laughs> is it? So there's this introduction piece from Runcible Puka Noses. And I'm like, oh, so they're just... Okay, there's a little like blurb and then it's like, getting into it, right? And then you turn the page to page 38 and it's like starting with classification of autumn people. Okay. Uh, More
0: classifications.
1: And he says, oh, my friend Carolyn Walksfaye will discuss the Dante and Further in chapter four. Okay, so the chapters are diegetic right and then we get this next line on page 38 the mundane under mundanes take a look at your stack of white wolf books if you flip through the i'm like wait a sec what is this the puka (laughs) writing this is the puka breaking the four is this puka actually deadpool like i'm getting very (laughs) that that, that broke me slightly i'm
0: i'm fine with that if it said black dog right (laughs) yeah that threw me a bit I just, I had a really hard time getting past the formatting because that first page where it's like tiny, tiny white font in the pseudo Irish style over this blood red background that is difficult to read. Oh, yes. I think that maybe throughout the chapter, because we do get little sidebars in that format, maybe that's supposed to be the musings of Ronsible Pucano's Fuzzy Scholar, Troubadour mm-hmm. Poet, and Puka at Large.
1: But no, this part, if you see it before, it says, my friend.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I absolutely, yeah, no, I get it. Anyway, um, so we have more classifications here. We have the heavy sleepers, which are high banality humans, versus the autumn fe, yes, which are fay who never awoke. Yep. And combined, those make up the innocents, mm-hmm. which are different from the dantane, who are equivalent to the cognoscenti, all of whom are different from the mundanes, who, if their banality isn't too high, can be sympathetic allies. I need a flow chart. like... Are
1: some of the Dantain I think might also count as innocents?
0: Yes, that too. And to the take. Autumn
1: Fae. W- when we get to chapter four, let's 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 take let's put a pin on the uh, Autumn Fae. When we get to chapter four, because I have another confusing part. Of what this is trying to say? Yeah, but yeah. we need an
0: org chart for this.
1: Yeah. So there's the types of Autumn. I think these are Autumn people. Is what it- or am I if I jumped ahead too far?
0: Yeah. It says Autumn Fae. You- yeah. It says Autumn Fae, so <laughs> but they don't seem like Fae at all. They seem like just baseline humans who happen to be really banal.
1: And that's how I always viewed it, this book, before. And it says nothing yeah. about them being Fae. Yeah. It's like the crashing boar.
0: The overprotective mother.
1: It's like, okay, so if this is like, overprotected mother is like, I don't know, a stereotypical boggin who's gone banal and a restrictive librarian's like a slua or something.
0: But, Perhaps. I mean, it is supposed to be, if it's Autumn Faye, it's Fay who never crystallized. But yeah. They seem like they could just be people.
1: Yeah. And some of them I'm so. like, okay, the minutia maven just sounds mean to me to put them as an autumn pay. yeah yeah dude fine you're not into this person's interest in train schedules but like don't be a dick about it if you don't just like it's other people don't want to hear about your role-playing games
0: like well, oh there's a deep cut yeah no some of them so just just to recap we have well actually first we have a sidebar for the heavy sleeper but we don't actually have a full description of the heavy sleeper we'll get to that later and then the other five types that we get are the overprotective mother, the restrictive librarian, the minutiae maven, who likes collecting pennies and things, the crashing boar, which I feel like should be the crushing boar, and the suit, who's like a stereotype of an 80s businesswoman.
1: I think the crashing boar is the one who like crashes your party or your LARP. Ah, uh,
0: perhaps. Yeah, those, the crashing boar, I kind
1: of get. Like all of them I'm cool with as being high, just uh, some sort of high banality person. Yeah. Except for the minutia maven. I'm like, that doesn't,
0: yeah. Yeah. There's also this random sidebar within the sidebar, which does reference Black Dog Games, where Runcible the Puka talks about meeting a Nosferatu vampire. Yes. So not sure how that fits into uh, all of this, but I don't know. Is that supposed to imply that role-playing gamers can be crashing boards?
1: Oh, yes. No, I no the Crashing Boar, yes. Again, I mm. got into changing through LARP. This is an archetype that exists, or at least exists. I
0: feel fortunate for not having encountered that so much.
1: I mean, I've encountered it at tabletop as well. Just usually tabletop groups are better at either they're full of them or they have none.
0: I suppose I have encountered, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, a couple. And it's you know people who I tried never to roleplay with again. So, yes. Yeah. You know
1: but in a larp things are a little bit more open as to who can play
0: like
1: mm. especially these days yeah you want to make sure there's not people who are actually dangerous or abusive or something like that right but the toxic types yeah but there's can be toxic types that are like this guy doesn't necessarily have to be that kind of toxic he could yeah. just be no one likes him because he doesn't get it and he's being very annoying and he just wants to Maxim out his XP for some reason.
0: <laughs> well, and it goes back to this notion of banality kind of being in the eye of the beholder because with someone like the minutia maven who's obsessed with, you know, schedules and pennies and things, mm-hmm. like if if a changeling is bored to tears by her presence, you know, too bad for them. But she's, again, not going out of her way to hurt anybody. And there might be other people who derive enormous, yeah maybe not pleasure, but are happy to talk about those things. Everybody has their yeah. hobby, their passion. Like, like it kind of seems like a dig
1: against autistic people. The introduction even. Yeah, and it's just. I'm not saying all autistic people are like that. I'm just, but but it's a stereotype that gets yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And I think that overall, this really this is my least favorite chapter in the book because it seems like one, and because it's in character, it is one perspective on the types of autumn people that are out there.
1: Assuming these are autumn people and not autumn (laughs) fake. Right, right. Oh, and there was also page 47 also is an interesting bit, the layout.
0: I mean, I'm drowning in the white space.
1: Yeah, it's just...
0: I have to point out one uh, little thing on earlier in the chapter, the powers of the autumn people. Again, just this is something that made me do a double take. And when people talk about hibernality as more... Has more teeth in the earlier editions. So if an Autumn person has direct contact with a changeling, which can include a simple quick reprimand by a librarian, the Autumn person can roll their banality against a difficulty of the character's glamour. Each success causes the character to gain a point of temporary banality. Yes. I just kind of stared at that. And
1: <laughs> that is more you know. brutal than the rules in C20, for
0: sure. Yes. A librarian tells you to be quiet. You gain four banality. Just seems a little bit excessive.
1: It could happen in C20 because there's, we don't have to get into C20 rules, but if you botched your glamour defense roll.
0: That'd be maybe. a hell of a botch.
1: That'd be a bad botch. Yes.
0: Yeah. So overall, I do think that banality should be a little toothier than it is in C20, but not this much. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I I care for the additional mechanics they've added in this book in that regard.
1: Yep. And I always got confused there. I always thought that was just quote unquote autumn people, not everyone who's high banality. Yeah. But then that's a distinction that's hard to make too.
0: Anyway, on to the Dantain.
1: Yeah. So this chapter is interested because it makes no reference to Autumn Fae. Yeah. (laughs) At all.
0: I suppose the distinction is the Autumn Fae never awakened and the Mm Dantain did or did they? Because there is one set of Dantain who didn't. So I will say, though, there's a note. um, I don't remember if it's this chapter or earlier in the book. But there's this bit about how the Dantain, you know, some of them kind of use their abilities unconsciously. And it talks about them manipulating societies to their own ends to increase banality. And I just feel like that ascribes them more power than they need to have. Because overall, the bleakness of Changeling, I think works better when it's just kind of natural, when it's not Mm -hmm. given that kind of active intentionality behind it. Like there are certain things, there's there's one category of Dante and the Black magicians who know full well what they are and full well what they're doing, and they're using banality purely to scrape together more power. Mm -hmm. And that as a very specific type of enemy, I think is fine. But the other ones, it's kind of like with the whole like Anton Stark plotline, they just feel too organized to me.
1: Yeah. Each of the, the different dooms. Yes. Well, it, all, it does say these are not all the dooms explicitly, yeah. but like they have the whole like write up about the other types. And I'm like, no, don't know. How would the lost even know about the other, like the distinction between the cursed and black magicians? Like what? Right.
0: That that doesn't work. Yeah. Oh. And, and to your point about layout, we have some very chunky bits of white space in here too. Hmm. It is
1: making me feel better about like how I've been doing my uh, working slowly on my STV supplement because uh, at the very least it wouldn't be any worse than this uh, the way I'm doing Huzzah. This with the auto-generated
0: layout. But... Yeah. So we have six dooms. Mm-hmm. We have the lost who, so the lost sort of awaken and then can't deal with it and they retreat into banality.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's and the Anton there's... Stark type, I
0: think. That sounds correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as these dooms are kind of presented like splats, it is important to remember that the dawtane are individualized. They're more, I would say, analogous to marauders in mage than, you know, the nefandi, to use another mage example. They each twist their fey nature in their own way. Mm-hmm. They each have their own individual perspective on glamour and banality in relation yeah. to themselves.
1: And it's very clear so, if you want to have a different kind than what's in here, like, go, go right ahead. That's fine. Yeah. It's just... Here are some examples of common groupings.
0: Yeah. Then we have the cursed who take on banality out of vengeance towards others. I think
1: their oath, is, it's not good oath. Like I feel like these, that oath should be tempting. It's mm. not.
0: <laughs> A lot of oaths aren't nearly as, as tempting as I think the book wants them to be. Mm-hmm. So.
1: so yeah, the, the cursed, yeah, the cursed are the ones who are, So angry they're gonna use banality to attack someone, basically.
0: Just anger personified.
1: Which is getting actually close. I'm currently running on one-on-one changeling game with one of my kids. Yay! And his character's going down that path. Oh no. (laughs) He's already he he started with the Oath of Cross Blades.
0: Oh no. Well, I mean, that's that's a direction for the game to go. That's that's a possibility. So
1: and it's one-on-one, so it's less. Problematic than in a group where that could derail
0: yeah. everything for everyone else. So then we have the black magicians who are just they they take banality on because they want the power and they're they're my favorites actually because they make the most sense to me. They just they're the mustache twirling mm. power by any means necessary kind of villain and I think that that's straightforward and easy for players to understand and can get you some really threatening supervillains so. Then there's the Nihilists who get depressed. Which I think
1: are one of my favorite yeah. of these types to use, I think. Because it's um, it's not like they're intentionally doing anything. Yeah. And it's But you still have to deal with it somehow.
0: I feel like Arthur the Slua from Chapter 1 is on his way to maybe becoming a Nihilist. I mean, like a, a Nihilist with a mm-hmm. capital N. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just a Slua. Then we get... Uh, there's the Apostates. Yeah, I think they have the shortest write-up of any splat I've seen. Yeah, and they're maybe the ones that need the most because, like,
1: it's like a shared delusion among them. Like, it's an actual, it's the closest to, like, an actual social movement of Dante. Or religion, even. Yeah, it's a religion of...
0: Banality will get everybody back to Arcadia somehow. Yeah, which I think shows up in later Shadow Court stuff. Yeah. And then the Typhoids who are just around Banality too much, which kind of makes you wonder why they just don't try harder to get away but i suppose it's not always an option
1: well it's also like the the typhoids feel like at least two different kinds of very right. distinct types like i played also in a crossover game a uh, red cap who was going down the typhoid route ah. because he developed a taste for vampires literally chomp chomp but uh, that's somewhere between typhoid and black magician really yeah
0: yeah yeah a ghoul changeling would be in this
1: intentionally yeah. but he's also like a hunter of vampires.
0: So intentional ghoul, black magician, unintentional ghoul, typhoid. Yeah. Something like
1: that. But there's also some intentionally, some of the typhoid stuff makes them seem like there's some intention in there. I get confused by that.
0: Yeah. Well, regardless, they're infected by banality and for whatever reason can't seem to break away from it. Uh, So then we get some description about how they function. And so this this part really drives home the use of both Glamour and Banality by the Dante. I mm-hmm. do like that they, so they rend Glamour from Dreamers, and then they regain Temporary Banality through Tedium with a capital T, which I found amusing. Yeah,
1: th- this stuff, because of the system nature, it's very 1E changeling. You'd have to modify it for use. Yeah. But the, the rending thing makes me wonder, like, first of all, that does just kind of seem like ravaging to me. Yeah. I don't, I don't, or maybe a type of ravaging. And then it's like talking about,
0: can, can changelings ravage changelings? That's an excellent question. I don't think so though. No, not really. Because like. Because it talks about them doing it in this book.
1: does it? Or at least rending works on changelings.
0: I think it just says dreamers. Like, oh no. Yeah. It should be noted that rending is just as effective on changelings. as It is on dreamers. I never noticed that before. They might be unique in that regard that they can absorb glamor from changelings. But I suppose they don't, it's different from regular ravaging in that the banality is just kind of from them being there. It's not like they're forcing their banality like ravaging does into the dreamer in order to push the glamour out and eat it.
1: Actually, no, you you have to have a conversation. And then during this conversation, the nantane must proceed to cause the person to disparage about their own works or self-worth. This can be done by making critical comments and just generally verbally abusing the hapless sought. That's just ravaging.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It does say peculiar form of ravaging. So I suppose it's the specialized one.
1: And the tedium one just, I don't know, ever since either 2016 or 2020. Yeah. It just really hits home with a lot of people I know in various circles.
0: Doom scrolling would be tedium.
1: Yeah. But also like somebody trying to guilt you if you're not doom scrolling enough. Right.
0: (laughs) You mean you didn't read about X? Yeah. Yeah. Note, to be socially responsible, you should read and educate yourself about X. However, know the point at which you need to step away and get some happiness into your life. This has been a public service yes,
1: announcement. Don't, don't stay up all night reading about it every night. That's not good.
0: I do appreciate they have uh, information here about how each different Doom handles cantrips. And I think that that's a nice note because it, again, explores how different Dante will handle their own fey nature differently. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, th- this also gets into the typhoid being a different kind of division. But, you know, it, this almost feels like a... Wait,
0: who wrote this chapter? This is Carolyn Walksfar, the issue.
1: It's almost like these types of Dante were invented by this issue. Yes. Is one way you could read this. And they're not objective. Yeah,
0: I think that's sort of the conceit of these chapters, because it's mentioned at one point, like, oh, my friend Rensible put together this guide categorizing different types of Autumn Fay," And so... Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort yeah, of, don't,
1: idea. don't, uh, don't trigger somebody else's banality by going, this is can, can and Z blah, blah, blah. You can't do that. In your... Yeah. It's a guide. I think even more so than normal for white wolf.
0: Yeah. So then we get uh, the stigmas, which are various little banal powers that the Dante can have. They can do things like remove all traces of glamour from a person or destroy emotions, or they're resistant to iron uh, they're almost like little demonic investments in a way.
1: These I have used in a game. Yeah. With autumn people as well. Because I think autumn people get access to stigmas
0: as well. At the end here we have uh this whole page and a half on rescuing Dante and kind of dragging them back from Banality to have them be full changelings again. And I'm frustrated because we get all of this. By comparison, we don't get, like I said, anything almost on rescuing Fae who are slipping into undoing or who have become undone. Yeah. I don't know if that's just supposed to be well, they've they're undone, so they can't be rescued, so we're not gonna talk about them. But it, it says they can be rescued just as right. hard. So I'm I'm a little put out by that, that difference. Yeah. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the Dantain overall?
1: Overall, it's a by the standards of what I would expect from a first edition, I like it. <laughs> I would not use it. I like actually this. I think they can be brought into C20, for instance, with the rules that are already in C20 really easily. And I tend to maybe having the new Dantain where they're opposed to, they're like angry at the Dreaming instead of banal, like maybe as a new type of Dantain. But I like these other kinds of Dantain as, again, mechanically, maybe you play with them a bit or whatever. But yeah as sort of antagonists and maybe a path a PC could go down, I like.
0: And we do get a couple extra dooms and some, maybe not expanded, but alternate mechanics in C20, as well as unsolicited Mm -hmm. advertisement. Charlie Cantrell and Radio Free Arcadia have just released, as the time of this recording, a new volume on Storyteller's Vault called Harbingers of Winter, which deals with Dante, among other enemies. It does deal with Dante. Oh, okay. I
1: was unclear. I thought that was... I haven't fully read it yet. I thought it was more Shadow
0: Courty stuff. Well, that too. The Dante though, overall, I'm just... I think they're fine to drop one into a Chronicle once as, like, a one-off enemy yeah. that you would meet. But to have them be this kind of persistent threat, I feel like just kind of runs against the grain of what I want Changeling to be.
1: Oh, yeah, I wouldn't use them constantly either, no.
0: Yeah, and this just seems like more more development of them than i really feel like i need for a game i guess it's lots of options for people who want lots of options to pick from but
1: mm-hmm. you know yeah i I, th- I feel like overall for this book they had to they were told to make a year of the hunter book right they Went oh, well i guess we're going to make these like banality based antagonists and then they expanded upon that but it could only go so far yeah but, like, you know, if you're in a vampire game, I don't think you want your vampire game to be always dealing with vampire hunters, either.
0: Well, that's what V5 is, isn't it? More or less. Okay,
1: but well, certainly not first edition vampire. Or no, no. Edition.
0: No, you just need the, the Sabbat and alien virus Simisi.
1: Well, first edition core book would be dealing with your sire and their sire.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those were the days. Anyway. Well, on that note, we do have chapter five on storytelling, which is, well, it's a chapter. It exists. What were your thoughts on this chapter?
1: I probably liked, I actually liked this chapter a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we do get a couple nice little, I mean, we have the Unbroken Circle, which is a group of 15 Kithane who have sworn an oath to kind of hunt down Dante.
1: Yeah, and it has a scene, it describes a scene that had High King David
0: actually in it. Maybe his first one, actually, sort of like... And
1: I think there's a picture of the back of his head, maybe.
0: That's that's what we need. We need more pictures of the back of High King David's head. Yeah. The opening chapter art is like Grant Morrison as a Dante, something mm-hmm. like that. This felt like
1: vampire art that got repurposed.
0: Yeah, possibly.
1: I'm not sure if it's Vampire the Masquerade or it might be other vampire art from another game, but...
0: <laughs> and then we get a bunch of possibilities for Dante Chronicles, which... <sighs> it's interesting. They kind of give this inverse of the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And I I do actually like, we're almost presented with a system that's kind of parallel to the idea of degeneration and vampire, which Mm -hmm. as much as people harp about humanity being a stat in vampire, and I understand those gripes that people have, it is an element of the game that I think is underappreciated. And I like that there's this changeling equivalent that's presented. Yeah. So you can have a game where part of the narrative is the character struggling against the possibility of falling into Dontainhood. So. Yep.
1: And like, I'm running a game where I'm looking at this revenge chapter. Right. It's like, yeah, this fits.
0: (laughs) This could happen.
1: He's playing a Shadowport, Baylor Autumn, she. Oh, just ticking all the boxes. He was like angry at. One particular Arcadian count from his previous life, like from the Accordance War, but also angry at Arcadian she in general for a bunch of reasons.
0: Sounds like a cursed Dante in the making.
1: Yeah, he's just not there yet.
0: I think the thing to bear in mind as a storyteller, though, is to figure out, because the book isn't too clear, on how, you know, a changeling very firmly doesn't become undone while on the path to becoming Dante whether it's maintaining glamour at a high level at the same time as your banality is rising or just through the power of the oath or what, how does that Mm -hmm. transition fully happen without the changeling destroying themselves?
1: Yeah, it'd be nice if that oath made it harder to become undone or something.
0: Something. Because we're not given a lot of details on that aspect of the Mm -hmm. process. We do get some steps in terms of like, we, we get steps in the process of becoming Dante, but it just seems unclear to me how you would get onto that track rather than the track to undoing
1: it's well it was storytelling advice and i read this as well you talk to your players and if they want to go down this track and everything makes sense let's go down
0: this track so you think it's purely storyteller and player discussion that decides yeah pretty much yeah well, okay how that's how fair yeah see i can accept that i just wish they had spelled that out front and center
1: <laughs> yeah and I, the, the hero's journey thing i'm
0: more skeptical of the new is actually yeah well that. it's a it's a corruption of the hero's journey so that's mm-hmm. something anyway then we get chapter six which is probably the shortest chapter in the book out of full five pages i think four and a half
1: yep oh it says yes players have the option of creating autumn Fay or dante that storyteller section did it have anything on playing autumn Fay?
0: i don't believe so
1: okay so that's my one complaint
0: about that chapter my big complaint fair Anyway, this really just consists of the two, even though it's supposed to be three, agendas, which are sort of the Dante art equivalents. So in the early days of Changeling, there were some issues with layout and editing. And I believe this is the only time I can think of in, in Changeling, certainly, maybe in all of like early White Wolf, where we later get an errata section uh, in another book with the material that has been cut out. And it's like several pages.
1: Didn't they do something like that with Land of 8 Million Dreams? We can get to that later when we get to that book. We can. I thought that missed something too. Yeah, the webcraft, which I spent a good 10 minutes reading that over (laughs) before I figured out what was going on. Yeah. So yeah, they they show, there's three, there's listed three
0: of these... Agendas.
1: Agendas, which are kind of like arts, but banal. So you have the Burnout, Stullify, and webcraft. And, you know, I'm like, eh, as, uh, arts, I mean, this is a first edition and whatever, right? Like, I'm not really big on at least how it's written. Although I do like that you had to be a three point, you have to have th- at least three dots in computer to like inflict banality over the internet. <laughs> oh, those were the days. I feel like that you don't even need one dot these days.
0: Oh, the nineties. You don't even need someone to do that. The internet itself inflicts banality on people.
1: Yeah. I do think computers should be moved into skills and then, anyway. Well. <laughs> But yeah, the webcraft was so it says the title webcraft one like two sentence paragraph, and then the next paragraph which doesn't have any like break it, is about something else. Yeah, and, but that one webcraft being is all referencing the the weaver from werewolf.
0: Yeah, which I found bizarre. I mean, I guess it's like a moment of crossover that they wanted to include, but still, it's it's jarring. <laughs> so, jumped at, because nothing else in this book has that. Yeah, or any other book for that matter. I can't think of the Weaver coming yeah. up in any other changeling context. Anyway, that's mm. it for this chapter. Actually, I did just flip back, and they do say there there are Autumn Fae character creation rules, and it's a bare three sentences snuck over a page break, so easily missed. Oh.
1: Which, which chapter?
0: So it says, creating an Autumn Fae uses many of the same character generation rules as generating a normal kithing character. A player a storyteller may choose what Kith the character would have been, but the character gains no benefits or penalties from the Kith, so you ignore the birth rates and frailties. The character doesn't gain any arts and realms, and they can't cast cantrips, but they may choose one level of agendas. So it's essentially create a character, drop the arts, pick an agenda, and that's the only difference.
1: Oh, the agendas don't use the bunk system, right? I guess they wouldn't use
0: monks. That doesn't make sense,
1: and they don't use realms. I don't know if that makes me like them more or less.
0: But I don't find them necessary at all. I think in C twenty we get ruin is the is the only one Mm -hmm. in the core book, and that one seems a little bit more thought out. This is just kind of like this is almost like a, a discipline from vampire more than anything else.
1: And it seems like overlapping what it it's structure different, but overlapping what it does with those stigmatas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nothing really. Yeah, ruins different. Ruins is an art that's of the right kind
0: of. And then we conclude with an appendix of infamous dante and others. I want to get to that yeah. others in a sec, but you know, oh yes, <laughs> I had a note
1: on that too.
0: Are, do you have any favorite Dante from this section? Because I sure do. Um, I I, I think Changeling
1: does Sam here. Hay- Hate better than uh <laughs> with the uh landron
0: yeah landron's pretty good but the one the one who i like most is joseph and the, the third who we have a huge amount of backstory for yeah but notably he is the only example of a banal of a don'tane Shihan and yeah. one of the only shihain in the entire game as well so mm-hmm. you know that's something but yeah, as, as an enemy, he's the Dante that I would drop as like a big bad into a game. Because mm-hmm. he's just, he's a Liam Shee who is full Black Magician. Glamour 8, Banality 8, Willpower 10. Lots of arts at level 5. Good luck, players. So I have a question
1: about Brand the Burning Wrath. That's the Red Cap. In yeah. C- yes, he's a Red Cap Wilder. In C20, should he be tied
0: to Banality at all <sighs>
1: Or is he just a really nasty, hungry redcap?
0: He could just be a really nasty, hungry redcap, but in this instance took the oath of whatever. No, the called. cursed. Yeah. Yeah. Distinctions fuzzy, signs unclear.
1: The bastard cop. I mean, eh. yeah. Well, it's not saying like I wouldn't use those stats, but yeah. And then we have a non Dantean, which took me a bit to catch.
0: I am very confused by how this character is supposed to work. So this is Alex Hayward, who is the gothiest goth that ever goth to goth.
1: Yeah. I'm like, obviously I'm like, how's a slua supposed to sing? Wait, he's not a slua.
0: Yeah. He seems to just be, so he's a hedge magician with Kenning who's human, but
1: has legacies. Well, okay. That, that is fine because you're making the character with change the rules. Like that's how you'd make mortals. If you're strictly using just change, like,
0: I suppose,
1: but like it's—he's got banality four,
0: right? And that's lower than many changelings. So, so why is he? He's a—he's a hunter of changelings. Okay. And he but. has a band of Dantain cutthroats. For his powers of cursing, you're encouraged to look at the quick and the dead, which I think is a wraith supplement. It's just a very confusing. I think he does actually pop up somewhere else in the books. I'm struggling to remember mm-hmm. where. Narratively he's a compelling character in the sense of he mm-hmm. was ravaged by a bunch of unseelie Fe, swore to destroy these, these changelings that killed his girlfriend and has these hex powers that he's going to use and falls in with this group of Dante. I find all of that as compelling or more compelling than the whole Anton Stark stuff, yes. but just mechanically giving him stats in this way is very confusing. So. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, everything in here with the stats I mean, now that we're two editions later.
0: Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty.
1: Well, also, none of it's useful straight out of the book. You have to modify it anyway. But yeah, his... Uh, and he doesn't
0: mention picking up... I don't remember mentioning picking up any occult powers. So why does he have, like, numina? Oh, his grandmother taught him. Oh, right. His grandmother, quote, a true strega. So he also has Contacts 5, which seems a little bit ridiculous for some goth band leader.
1: I mean, he was getting pretty famous. I suppose. And then he was like leveraging that fame to hunt down things. So, like,
0: but he has no allies and no fame, just contacts and resources. So,
1: did they have allies and fame back then? I believe so. Yeah, mechanically,
0: if we're bringing in in powers from Wraith, we might as well bring in backgrounds from vampires. So, yes,
1: yeah, mechanically, okay, I agree completely with. I wouldn't use any of these out of the
0: box, but I would use Joseph and the third out of the box. You wouldn't change anything mechanically? I, very little. I mean, he's got Primal 5 and Sovereign 5. What more do you need?
1: He's going to throw Can around. Can you give him any Ruin?
0: Well, he... You no, know, he he doesn't need it, I don't think. He's got okay. Burnout and Stultify. What does he need with Ruin? That's true. Charisma 5, Manipulation 5, Appearance 6. Like, he's just going to be wiping the floor with players. Anyway.
1: Yep, he's your big bad, too.
0: He wants to assassinate King David, and he's functionally immortal.
1: Mm-hmm. Did we ever get stats for King David? I don't remember.
0: Uh, I think we might in time of judgment, but that's way down the line. So okay, yeah. But yeah, Alex Hayward, the goth band leader, is the last page of the book. There's no ad. There's no daunting character sheet. Just mm-hmm. blank white space. And then yeah, I zone. think if
1: they wanted to push up the page count, they could have put in a character sheet. Something. Or maybe that webcraft.
0: <laughs> yeah, <Or> webcraft thing. <laughs> well, we can cover webcraft when we get to the players' guide. So yes, stay tuned, listeners. Anyway, so what are your thoughts on the book overall?
1: I think of first edition supplements, it's pretty high up there in terms of me wanting to use it currently in my games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's flaws with it we've addressed, but like, fine. Like it's not, yeah, there there are some issues, but it's nothing catastrophic. And I think it's quite usable.
0: Yeah. It's a very thorough antagonist book, which mm-hmm. given that that was its intention, it, it works. There are lots of options and interesting ways of handling some of those options. Yeah.
1: And like it, how I how said, it is padded out, but it is isn't still not that long.
0: Yeah, it felt it felt a little scattered to me, particularly mm-hmm. in the way that some stuff kind of got reiterated while other stuff didn't get described fully. There's a lot of mechanics just kind of appearing in the middle of a paragraph. Yep, yeah.
1: And it, they're not really laid out to even realize you're reading mechanics. Right.
0: And they're in character voice, so it's like at the same time that the Puka is talking about yeah. his exploits with biting Dante, he suddenly says, role perception and occult. And you say, what? Yeah. Um, I'm like, should, should I allow Puka to break the fourth wall in my game? Is that like one of their hidden powers? Like Slua talking to ghosts?
1: absolutely should. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. But there's a lot of attention to the different aspects of role-playing game stuff in here. So we we do get mechanics as well as stories and we get powers and templates and we get famous figures and you know all of these different elements that you yeah. would want
1: like this has a, this has a bunch of npcs like i said i tweak it slightly the mechanics for most of them but it's a good quick starting point that you could if you're familiar with you know the new edition or whatever
0: you just have to be able to parse the text both in terms of sorting yeah. out the different contradictory categorizations and stuff mm-hmm. and dealing with the in-character voice
1: i I think for antagonists, this works better than that Book of Storyteller Secrets.
0: Yes. Oh, definitely.
1: Like Book of Storyteller Secrets, like, oh, we could repurpose this. Autumn people I have used in games before and I will continue to use in the future. Yeah. Even if it's not every chronicle, I would definitely pull it out sometimes and use it.
0: It extends a lot of the ideas that we talked about with Book of Storyteller Secrets and in productive Mm -hmm. ways.
1: So, yeah, but doesn't need Book of Storyteller Secrets to use it either. Exactly. Yeah
0: four out of five butterflies yes i'd give it a yeah four out of five sounds good too as long as you're running a game that involves the autumn people which isn't by any means necessary yes i mean if you're running a long enough chronicle you'll probably use it at some point at some point
1: or at least the cop co- talk maybe not the book but you'd use the either dante or Autumn. i think you do need autumn people at some point in your, your chronicle yeah at least i would i don't think i'd want to do changeling that's like strictly in the dreaming or something 100 percent of the time nor would I. Yeah.
0: Right on. Is there anything else we need to say about this piece of text? No. Uh,
1: again, you know, if you're running Changeling the Dreaming today, you can get the PDF on Drive-Thru RPG for a reasonable price, I think. I imagine. But where you come across it, a hard copy, whatever, like for the right price, it's worth it for sure. Yeah. It's an extra extra tool in your tool. Box. Okay. So once again, this has been Changeling the Podcast. I've been your host, Josh.
0: And I have been Booga.
1: And... Don't let those stigmatas make you forget.
0: Keep on dreaming.